crap about it. <laughs> if that's right, the only are... the only issue you have, you've done this has been great, so I wouldn't worry about it. I appreciate that. We've uh, we, we, everybody's been doing a really good job of making us look good, so we appreciate that. And we're going to be live right now, as a matter of fact. Um, welcome to everybody for the two o'clock uh, panel discussion here on leadership. Uh, at the various state levels. We are uh, incredibly honored uh, to have three great leaders with us where we do know many, there are many great uh, leaders within Main Street and especially leaders of statewide programs, uh, but we're thrilled to have three of them with us today. Um, and I'm gonna have everybody kind of introduce themselves real quick and we'll start with Liz from North Carolina. Oh, well, um, it's great to be here. I'm Liz Parham. I'm the director with the North Carolina Main Street and Rural Planning Center at the Department of Commerce. Sorry about that. I forgot to mute the site because I got to watch the comments at the same time. So that's, that's my big mistake. I forgot to mute it. So sorry, Liz. So I need to do that again? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm Liz Parham from North, North Carolina. How about that? There you go. Uh, Patrick? Uh, so, pleasure to be with you. I'm Patrick McMahon from the Connecticut Main Street Center. We are a statewide nonprofit organization. And Mary? Mary Helmer from Main Street, Alabama, also a statewide nonprofit. All right, so you guys already jumped into my very first question, which was, tell us a little, <laughs> a little bit about kind of your organization, like what's the what's your status, so you're a nonprofit. Um, but if you could tell me that, and then um, like how many communities you currently serve uh, and whether or not you have levels or anything like that. So why don't we go the opposite way this time, so we start with Liz. Mary, why don't you start, tell us a little bit about that. Um, we have been, this is our, I think our seventh year of being back uh, in Alabama. Prior to this, uh, the state coordinating program was located within the Alabama Historical Commission. So it's a different process for them. And I was in Kansas, so it was an entirely different thing. Uh, and working in state government, which trust me, nonprofit is way different than working within state government. Well, this clearly isn't Kansas anymore. It, <laughs> no, not in Kansas anymore. No, but hey, Scott, if you're watching, I think Scott Sewell was on there earlier, who's the, the state coordinator in, in Kansas. But we have 27 designated programs. So when I arrived in June of 2013, there were 10 that were still kind of holding on, um, calling themselves Main Street. Some were really doing it well. Uh, some were just doing a name only. So we spent kind of that first year getting people adjusted what Main Street really is and how do we work into it to now having 27 designated Main Street programs and another 27 networks. So we've been pretty busy the last seven years. Patrick? And we are celebrating our 25th uh, anniversary. We were actually started by a utility, uh, CLMP, Connecticut Light and Power. And then they rolled us off as a nonprofit four years later. Uh, we have four nationally uh, designated Main Street programs, but we have a slew of uh, affiliate uh, programs. We work with about 80 of the 169 communities uh, across the state, uh, ranging from rural communities to first ring suburbs to uh, neighborhood commercial districts in some of our uh, small cities. Very good. And Liz. Um, so again, I'm with the Department of Commerce, so I'm under state government, um, and we're the Main Street and Rural Planning Center. We actually have 88 communities that are part of three different Main Street programs, either designated as Main Street, designated as Small Town Main Street, or, or they're in a program that we call the Downtown Associate Community Program that's kind of a stepping stone up into Main Street. Um, but in addition to that, I have a team of planners, and they also work with 
all of the other communities in the state of North Carolina. So we have 545 communities in the state. Um, so between Main Street and our rural planning team, we're, we're working with pretty much everything that's rural, not necessarily the urban communities. Okay. So this has been probably the most, I don't know, whatever adjective you want here, crazy, bananas, bizarre, you know, I don't think anybody in this field has ever come across anything like this that we're all experienced. I think everybody's gone through, a lot of folks have gone through disasters. I mean, we've seen floods, we've seen hurricanes, we've seen all kinds of stuff, but, you know, we're, I think, three horsemen short of an apocalypse right now. <laughs> and, you know, but we're seeing kind of a strain on our local organizations. We're seeing a strain on you guys as statewide organizations. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of really inspiring things. Uh, so can you guys share with me a little bit, you know, what are some of the cool things that some of your communities are doing um, that, you know, you look at and go, wow, that's pretty cool. We didn't think of that. Or this is awesome. You know, this is something that, you know, we saw somebody else do, you know, share, share with us a couple of, you know, perhaps a couple of those stories of the communities that, you know, I think are, you think are really innovating. Can you call Hi, um, well, the, gosh, there's so many. It's, it's really kind of hard to, to pull one out. Probably one of the most innovative and fun ones that we've seen is, and, and because we're all supposed to have been in Dallas right now, one of our programs, uh, Jasper, took the refund back from that they got for all the travel stuff from the National Main Street Center and decided to spend it on gift certificates for their downtown. So uh, cool. like fourteen or $1,500 worth of gift certificates, and you had to they picked a business a day and you had to type in why I love this business. And then they just randomly picked one out and gave them a, a $50 shopping uh, certificate to them, which I thought was really, really cool. So that was, that was one of the really neat ones. Um, probably the, within a district that's been fun just lately um, is you know, everybody's not having graduations. Uh, so in South Huntsville, which Joe you're familiar with, cause you were on that resource team. They had a muralist do a, a muralist muralist who did a, a big mural that talks about graduation and they can all go get their picture taken there from a from a placemaking perspective, which I thought was really really sweet and kind of heartwarming. So other than that, we've been doing kind of the you know the different social media stuff, everything else. That there's probably a hundred things that I'm going to get yelled at if you have it and if you're listening from Alabama, yeah. If any of you, by the way, if any of these communities, if there's anybody from Alabama, Connecticut, or North Carolina, up, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you guys don't mention it. Please feel free to put it. I in love every one of you. So. <laughs> Just now, so if you screw up anything, your communities are going to chime in. <laughs> well, Liz, how about you guys? What do you see in North Carolina? Well, you know, I think at the local level, it kind of um, moves into two different camps. We've seen a lot of communities uh, that have raised funds locally from GoFundMe pages and, and, and uh, profiles up to uh, much more elaborate uh, fundraising campaigns. Um, in, in Belmont, they raised over $400,000 for their local communities. I think that was probably one of the largest ones that we had. Um, but we've also seen some some great marketing images uh, in Shelby. They did a whole series of social media blasts, and uh, we've seen some videos. We've seen some ins inspirational quotes on on walls, like murals. And it's been fun too, yeah. As well, and so some some really cool things that our communities have been doing. Uh, we've been kind of collecting all those stories and posting them on our page, so that we're sharing those community ideas as a as an exchange and that's been work, working really well for us as well. Patrick, how about you guys? 
So today is actually uh, the first day of phase one of the reopening of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So uh, retail entities that were considered non-essential now can uh, be open. Their malls are uh, opening today. Uh, restaurants can open, but only with outside dining. And so there has to be a, 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 really? a six only foot separation, yeah, only outside. So alfresco dining. And it's just been amazing watching all the communities really rally uh, the troops and have Zoom meetings with their restaurateurs to figure out how would they make that happen. Uh, basically, there's been uh, parklets and what was formerly on-street parking. There's been municipal parking lots that are being converted over short-term for the, uh, the dining. Uh, I've never seen people react so quickly. Uh, essentially, our Main Street managers are stepping to the plate. They're getting the information out. Uh, they were meeting up with individual restaurateurs and marking out the sidewalks as to where uh, the tables can go. They've been marketing it and promoting this uh, really heavily. So that's really exciting. Another thing that I've been seeing is, uh, is a lot more video activity with individual businesses, like mm -hmm. Facebook Lives and yeah. just interviews with businesses. And I think that should stay. That's one of those new uh, mm -hmm. things that yeah. came out of this that I think should continue. And I'll just add one more is e-commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm sure a bunch of folks have seen the, uh, the survey that was done by Main Street America that 63% of the small businesses didn't have an online e-commerce yeah. presence. So they're just seeding that market share to, to Amazon. Right. Mm -hmm. I live we in- read, We railed quite a bit about that yesterday. So, you know, you know how do you get businesses? And, and actually, I mean, it's just kind of controversial. I hate to say it this way, but you know, if you've got two thirds of businesses who can't figure out or can't, don't have the motivation to get online, you know, at some point you got to say, okay, well, this is economic Darwinism. You know, you, if you can't <laughs> figure that, if you can't put that together, then, you know, what, maybe, maybe being in business isn't for you in 2020, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe 2021, you should be doing something else. Um, because, you know, it's really, you know, I used the phrase yesterday a couple of times, you know, we're in the, we're on the Titanic, we've hit the iceberg, the boat's going down. The internet is the lifeboats. Getting the lifeboats. There's plenty of lifeboats for everybody in this scenario. Yeah, we have so, a downtown special services district, a bid that has mm -hmm. created a online portal just for their community in uh, New Haven, mm -hmm. Connecticut. Uh, citywide, they got a grant from the city and established it very quickly. And so businesses that didn't have an online presence can do so. And those that already did can link to that portal. And we're going to see hopefully more of that going forward. Yeah, we're, we're having a couple try that out down in Foley. They're working uh, with uh, Locable on, on uh, the mercantile platform that they have. So that's kind of an interesting one. I'm getting all kinds of tips from Trisha Black. So I got to read these off real quick. Headland, the curbside chat on their broadcast, which is so <laughs> cute. Headland is one of our smallest cities. And they combine with the chamber. They do this curbside chat. It was Their very first one was just an absolute hoot where they had a coach and his daughter do some sort of dance routine. It was a hoot and the daughter was on her dad the whole time telling you don't know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> in Athens and a lot of our communities, they don't allow the sidewalk dining. So taking advantage of this opportunity never waste a good crisis. I've heard people say a hundred times. Uh, they're able to get some of that sidewalk dining put up that the city just wasn't going for before. So that's really cool. Uh, there's a Parkside Trail in downtown Birmingham. Birmingham is always, you heard from Ben Wiesman yesterday, he talked a lot about what they were doing. Uh, and then South, Hun uh, South Huntsville had a neighborhood food delivery with food trucks that came in. Oh, that's cool. 
yeah. it's cool. It's yeah. really cool. So they're all, they're all doing really great stuff. Thank yeah. you. Well, and I think to, to your point, and, and Patrick mentioned this earlier too, you know, we're seeing movement on things that, you know, frankly, I don't know if we would have seen movement without, without this, you know, the whole idea of converting parking and converting public space into places where restaurants can take advantage of. And, you know, obviously we've all been proponents of, you know, on-street dining, maybe not this literal um, in the past, <laughs> but this idea where, you know, we can start reprogramming some of this space to be able to, to be used. And now we're seeing, now we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing examples of small businesses who are next door, retailers next door saying, no, no, they can use in front of our store too, mm -hmm. because then they're going to set people down, you know, in front of their storefront. I mean, and expose people to their product too. So, I mean, I think we're seeing all kinds of that. And Patrick, you mentioned earlier, you're going into phase one. Uh, Mary and Liz, where are you guys in your state's you know, respective reopening stages? We're in phase two. Uh, we, what does that mean? So, but every, everyone's got about, there's about 75 different phases as I've gathered throughout the country. Yeah. So, um, so what, what does phase two opened, mean for you guys? Phase two means we, we, she opened up retail first. Our governor opened up retail first with all the social distancing and limiting numbers. And then um, like, was it a week ago, maybe a little over a week ago now, uh, open, but you still had to have the same social distancing. About the only thing that we don't have open right now are gyms and entertainment facilities. Mm -hmm. The it open here again with social distancing. Um, I talked to one of my, my staff earlier today. She was at Gulf Shores this weekend. She gets people really good. They were distancing where they were supposed to be. She goes, now the hotel was full. <laughs> right. It was fine. So, uh, yeah, we're so far, I mean, we're, we'll look at the numbers trending just like everybody else to see if the infections are going up. But everywhere I have been, um, my, my fiance and I went to a restaurant just this last Sunday and sat outside, service had masks on, everybody had, they were watching the people that came in. I felt very comfortable being there, but we did sit outside. Yeah, so I felt very comfortable and safe in that environment, but we wore our masks too. So, yeah. Liz, how about you? Where are you guys at? What stage are you guys? Are, are you guys doing we're in, Yeah, we're in phase one right now. And uh, the governor is going to be making an announcement later tonight to let us know if he's moving into phase two on Friday evening. Um, but phase one for us basically means that the retailers were allowed to open back up again with social distancing, all of that. The restaurants and bars are not open. Um, the state parks and, and trails opened up in phase one, um, but things like gyms and yoga studios and salons are not open yet. Uh, they'll, they'll open hopefully in, in phase two. Um, the big event facilities are not opening until phase three at least. Um, so that's, that's gonna be later in the summer. Uh, we've got a lot of music venues uh, around the state none of those are opening yet. Yeah. yeah, we're hearing lots of, so we're in East Lansing and we're in Michigan as well. So Michigan's been one of the most uh, locked down states, I guess. And, you know, frankly, we went from being third in the country for a number of cases to the sixth or seventh. So it's working to some degree. And we've got both a phase and a regional um, approach. So our, the UP, if you're, if you're not familiar with Michigan, my apologies, it's a pretty big state. People don't realize how large of a state you it gotta is. You got to do the. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get the map out real quick. So, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, the entire part, the, the entire Upper Peninsula and part of the, the top of the lower have all been, you know, kind of rolled into a different phase now where they're allowed 50% capacity at retail. Um, you know, restaurants, I believe, are at 50% capacity as well. So we're seeing some of that. Other places, uh, outside of those two regions, though, it's curbside only for real for retail. 
uh, which is actually still an improvement over two weeks ago where they, you know, they weren't allowed to do any of that. Um, and now we've got construction going. So we're starting to, we're starting to see some of that here too. Obviously not as fast as everyone wants it to be to some degree, but I think it's, it's weird because there's, you know, obviously I think folks have seen a lot of the protests and stuff on the national news here in Michigan. Um, but by and large, you're looking at, you know, poll numbers of saying 60 to 70% agree that the governor is doing this the right way. So, but it's still, you know, everyone's trying to struggle with, all right, what's the predictability here? And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for all of our communities is what's the predictability. So if, if this works, great. I think we're all on the same page. If it doesn't, you know, if we get two weeks out and everybody is spiked and we have got to roll back, then right. I think I think we will have even bigger trouble. So let's 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 focus the rest of this conversation on being more positive then. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to, let's not necessarily talk to have to think about that a whole lot. Um, but what are those challenges though? You know, even as we're going through these different rollouts, you know, what are the challenges that your communities are facing specifically? Well, I think for us, uh, uh, particularly for the restaurants, um, you know, there's there's a lot of conversation about can specific restaurants um, cash flow at 50% uh, open yeah. or whatever the percentage ends up to be, or are they better off to stay closed and just to continue doing the curbside? Um, so there's a lot of conversations about that in particular for, for the restaurants kind of all over the state. And it really depends on the size of the restaurant and what that 50% capacity or 25% capacity really looks like, how many tables they're actually gonna be able to, to uh, have open and, and be able to turn. Because uh, we all know restaurants, if you're not turning your tables, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. Uh, you know, again, I think that's where the outdoor dining comes in uh, such an important role. Um, in our communities and, and some of our communities have taken taken that to another extent and said, okay, well, let's close our Main Street a couple of days a week, not state highways. Let's close Main Street so that we can really spread out people, uh, the ability for people to, to do outdoor dining. Um, alleys are being converted into uh, dining spaces, a little bit of everything to help those restaurants uh, figure out how to cash flow. We're seeing the same thing. A couple of our main streets are closing or at least closing down a lane. And again, that's a trend I hope to uh, see continue post, uh, post the, the crisis. I think one of the things that we're concerned about is uh, just the cash uh, reserves that our small businesses have. Uh, there's not enough. Uh, and so we could be facing some significant uh, vacancies in some of our downtowns where there already was a, a significant vacancy rate. Uh, you know, the whole uh, challenges of online uh, retailing was already taken to market share. And this could be another one of those blows. So I think it comes down to the importance of even more of the the on the one-on-one the -on -one business uh, visitation and phone calls to really understand what their concerns are and doing whatever we can to address those concerns. We're hearing the same thing. Some of the concerns that we've heard from some of our communities is what you're hearing nationwide is the PPP and the SBA actually getting to the small businesses. Right. We piggybacked off the survey that National did and started our own because, and I, and I understand that National didn't want to, you know, re, re send out their survey because they were looking at, you know, the statistics and following those same businesses along, but that didn't help us <laughs> ask that additional question. So we asked our own. 
uh, and it closed on Friday, I believe. So we're asking, did you get first round of PPP? Second, did you get SBA? Yeah. Was it easy to get? How do you feel about that? Because we were hearing from our directors that, uh, and several of their, you know, talking to their people in their districts, they're going, we're, that money's not coming to us. Right. So that, that's been a concern, but in some of my districts, it is. So it just depends on, on that piece. So that's, in addition to what Liz and Patrick already said, the, those are the, that's another layer of concern for us. Right. Some of our communities have been able to reallocate CDBG funding or the new funding that came through the, the CARES Act, but that's helping the entitlement communities, the bigger communities exactly. across the state. It's not getting uh, down, it's not uh, percolating down to the, uh, the smaller rural communities. So we got to find other ways to, uh, to help those jurisdictions. Yeah. Well, and, that, and it's interesting because we had a little bit of a discussion yesterday about CDBG CV, uh, which is that additional, you know, CDBG designation. And, you know, part of that is whoever, whoever gets that CDBG at the state level controls, you know, kind of how that works. And I think, you know, making sure that our Main Street organizations, our Main Street uh, communities are getting to those people to tell them, hey, this is, you know, there's a lot of uses you can use it for and the states are determining how they want to use it. So even though, you know, the universe is this big and how you can use it, you know, I think we'll see states trying to narrow it down because that's what's the easiest thing for them to be able to kind of, um, you know, it's the infrastructure they're set up for, you know, organizational infrastructure, not necessarily the brick and mortar. That's true. That's very true. So, Which is why, why the advocacy piece that National is working on and that we're, we're trying to work on too has become such an important component because mm -hmm. we- Are you at liberty to discuss that? Can we talk about that? I don't, I think we get to a point. Please do. Yeah, let's, I mean, if we, if we got the audience here, go for it. Yeah. Um, the National Main Street Center has uh, begun to spearhead a advocacy campaign to receive a, ch a chunk of funds through the CARES Act of this next round that would be um, funneled to coordinating programs, both uh, uh, city, county, and statewide, if it's approved with some matching funds. And who, God only knows who else, what we have to, they can have my firstborn. He's 30. I'm not having to pay for anymore. So, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I think it's a great, great piece. And the other smaller piece of that was to give some funding directly to businesses within the district. So we'll be hearing more outreach. Uh, here in Alabama, the letter has already been submitted to Senator Shelby. He was, he's on the Appropriation Committee on the Senate side. So they reached out to Alabama rather quickly, but we're, we're still working on the, on everybody else getting, kind of getting in line and understanding how we get a piece of a $300 billion or whatever god awful amount they're going to ask for this next time. So keep your fingers crossed and you'll hear more about advocacy. But just going to the state level too is understanding, even looking at the CDBG funds and some of the other pieces, mm -hmm. uses Main Street as their kind of go-to word, what's happening with our Main Street businesses. So it's really important that on the local level you advocate, at the state level you advocate, at the federal level we advocate. Um, and have them understand that small businesses still are the backbone of this country. Um, so there you go. There's my political speech for the day. But but, but you know, Joe, I think also um, you know we we heard a statistic recently that I think it's about thirty percent of the EDCs in the chambers could go out of business through this. Well, Main Street right. organizations fall into that exact same category. So yeah. infusing some cash to, to stabilize those organizations is is huge. It's so important to help those small businesses. But I think the other opportunity is 
the small business centers are also getting funds and there may be a, a way can be the arm of those small business centers um, and, and maybe access some of that money, but certainly help those small businesses um, stay in business or, or grow even. We've been directing a lot of folks to the SBDCs and the Women mm -hmm. Business Development uh, Councils. Their role is direct uh, technical assistance to individual uh, mm -hmm. businesses. And, and so that's their bailiwick. I think uh, Main Street, we're looking at the sort of the ecosystem downtown and mm -hmm. how does all of the different pieces fit together. So it's best for us to refer the direct uh, business assistance to them and then we focus in on the district wide activities. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the challenges that our Main Street organizations are going to face and, you know, every, it seems like every time we all get together as a big group and we, we, we lament that Main Street's not at the economic development table and we all say, you know, Main Streets are just, you know, as party planners, you know, and, and I almost feel like we need to drink every time I hear party planner now, by the way, for any, for any, type, <laughs> any, any type of organization, <laughs> um, which I'm usually up for that kind of game anyways, uh, but <laughs> But, you know, I think part of that, and we talked about this at the downtown happy hour last night, that is a function of how they make money. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we think about, when you, when you look at how Main Street organizations and downtown organizations are funded, um, they're funded one of a couple of ways. If they're a nonprofit, it, it's fundraising, and the fundraising typically goes through event management. Now, we know in the next six months, you know, that's an atom bomb. I mean, the idea that you can throw a 10,000 person event in your downtown is insane now. We do, I mean, three months ago, would we have thought that? No way. Yeah. But yeah. this is the kind of, you know, shaking of the ant farm. Now that we have our industry where all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, everybody, now you see them all, all, all scrambling, you know, but then you look at some of the other ones where, you know, in Michigan, you know, we've got downtown development authorities and business improvement districts, but we've got mm -hmm. tax increment financing as a mechanism and we have special assessments. But if we look at some of those other industries and tourism's often point to, you know, because they've got bed tax and, you know, there's, a, there's, you know, we have 50 states, there's you know, at least 70 ways to fund things, you know, right. you know, via different vehicles, you know, is it time to look at some standardization in terms of, you know, should we be doing business improvement districts across the country? Should we be, you know, organizing our, you know, our main street organizations to be able to go after this type of, more stable, more organized funding, because I think, you know, our main streets are living paycheck to paycheck, right? I mean, that's, you know, as organizations, if they don't, you know, how many of our, we say 20% or 30%, I think it's gonna be higher for, for our main street communities in particular, because they are so reliant on these events. So how do we, you know, how do we get them to go to a more stable funding? And is that a function of present, presenting them as economic development agencies? Or do we get the funding and then present them as academic development agencies? You know, so what are your thoughts on that? I know here in Alabama that we have pushed really hard since, since the relaunch of, of the nonprofit here in 2013 to be considered economic development. And, you know, our tagline is creating jobs, keeping characters. So that's been really my push uh, since we started and, and you know, great team members and the state and they're really their initial uh, impressions when I arrived to interview for the job was we want to be economic development. We don't want to be the after prom planning committee. We want to be more than that. So we've really pushed hard with that here. And I think most of our communities are really following in that vein um, and feel like that economic impact is the most important thing to, to really track. So 
every one of our communities looks at those economic numbers that they report monthly. Um, they look at have, making sure their ticker is up to date. They understand how to utilize it when they go to their city council and say, hey, we need some, this, this is why you need to fund us. So we've, we've really made that push for the last seven years. And I think that's helped some of our, our districts stay a little more on, on, on point uh, because they've been pushed that direction already. So hopefully we can keep it up. Liz, Patrick? Yeah, you know, I had a, a city manager that I worked for years ago that, and I was actually working for a nonprofit, so I wasn't directly working for him, but he made a comment to me that my first role was to survive. My second role was to thrive. <laughs> and that's actually a phrase that, that I use a lot with our, with our Main Street communities. And when I'm talking with their local governments, I always tell them that there's, they, they really have to get their, their operational money, their personnel money from the most stable sources of revenue. And that in North Carolina is city government, sometimes county, but not often, and certainly municipal service districts or bids. Um, and, and more than half of ours do have MSDs in place. There's only a couple of ours that really are dependent off of that revenue for, from festivals to be able to survive. And we tell them all the time, that's just not a good operational model. Uh, especially right now, if those festivals get canceled, and some of them have gotten canceled because of hurricanes in North Carolina, you're sunk. You're, you're just right. in the water. And um, I actually sent a letter out to all of our city governments uh, about two weeks ago and reminded them that their Main Street organization is their economic development partner, mm -hmm. key to small business recovery. And I know other states have done that. I know Mary's done that as well. Um, but that's that to me is really key to keep reminding those local governments that they need to rely on their Main Street organizations and their Main Street directors for that economic development role and small business recovery role. We have about 10 uh, business improvement districts in the state. And even though they're going to get a bit of a hit from this crisis, they're still a lot more stable than our nonprofit mm -hmm. uh, uh, brethren. And so we're, we're going to have to handhold the nonprofits a little bit more closely over the next year. We're having uh, weekly phone calls with the leaders of the nonprofits and really trying to give them talking points and helping them uh, understand what they're gonna need to do for organizational resilience. Mm -hmm. uh, not every community wants to do a, a bid. They just are concerned about going to the property owners and having to go through that process. Yes. So trying to I get- work for I'm already getting heat in the comments, by the way, for suggesting a you know, yeah. special <laughs> assessment, but- I mean, but there are other mechanisms. I mean, there's there's tax increment financing. There's you know there's sin taxes. You know there's you know if you look at the the tourism model, it's all in hotel tax. So what's the you know is it a sales tax within the downtown that the businesses themselves don't have to that they don't have to do, but you know a successful you know you know district will benefit from. You know maybe it's a restaurant tax. I, I you know I don't know. Yeah. And I think that you know and I do think that there should there should be flexibility for you know, the individual units of government to kind of figure that out. But right now, you know, your choices are, are in a lot of communities are fundraising or nothing. You know, right. you, you either do a festival to put on your money, you have to get your money or you, you know, you don't do it. And I think that, you know, we're, I think just we're in a very precarious position and I'm worried about it because, and, and, and to some degree, you know, just like small business owners where, you know, not everyone should probably be in business, you know, the two thirds who don't have websites, mm -hmm. You know, and maybe there'll be a little bit of a thinning of the herd from a from a nonprofit standpoint too. You know, I, I'm a former Chamber of Commerce president, and 
I've worked with chambers of commerce who are really, really good. And I have worked with chambers of commerce who are really, really bad. <laughs> and, you know, that, that internal momentum that kind of carries organizations forward sometimes, you know, it, this is going to disrupt that. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree, I think the thing in the herd is going to be okay. But, you know, you know how much of that thinning is, is going to be taking out bone? You know, when I think about like our, our main street, it's not just fat, we're cutting the muscle and bones to some degree. So, you know, the funding question aside, um, you guys are all doing some pretty innovative things in terms of helping your communities. Uh, can we talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you're doing? Mary, I know we just heard from Jay, uh, who was talking about, you know, the work that he's doing with you guys with Reopen. Can you talk a little bit about what Alabama is doing right now? Well, that idea was kind of born out of a conversation with Becca Schmidt from South Huntsville and Booger is barking. (laughs) He sees somebody. I'm just lucky my dog has not hopped up in the- the, the (laughs) Sorry, ignore that. Uh, Yeah, he does, somebody's in the backyard uh, spraying, I think. But uh, that came about as a conversation because uh, South Huntsville was wanting to put together a group of individuals who could start understanding what the reopening was gonna look like in South Huntsville and of course in Alabama. And so we hopped on the phone with Jay and said, have you ever thought about this? And Jay just blew it up from there. He did an outstanding job. So he was mm-hmm. kind enough to let, let Alabama see his, his reopen Main Street first and then shared it with the world because he's that guy. Uh, <laughs> really is well done, a great resource. We did that. Uh, the other thing we did was talk to Ornette Muldrow about some uh, on-demand videos that our Main Street communities could pass on to their uh, businesses to help them reopen. So it's you know e-commerce from how do you set up to how do I fulfill, how do I get my money, how do I deliver, all of that. Uh, there's social media for Main Streets and there's social media for businesses and there's another one in there and we're gonna get three or four more. So that was kind of the second tier. And, uh, and then we, of course, have Randy Wilson come in and do a really great webinar on design in the context of disaster, which we had actually booked a long time ago and made, made us look really smart for booking something like that so long ago. And, <laughs> and Randy changed it to COVID and again, hit it out of the park. So we've been, we've been blessed with really smart people, yay. <laughs> the next thing that we're looking at doing is we do have an economic recovery plan that we are beginning to push out the economic recovery plan is really to go into a community, um, select a number of businesses to work with and have them understand how do you build an online platform and then provide a little money to help them get that online platform built to how do you do the foot, foot poles on your doors and putting that in the packet. So we talked about the swag bag that you get at every conference. I was talking about it on the last one with your wife going, yeah, I threw most of that stuff away. So I don't want to spend a lot of money on print. But the bag is going to have stuff like foot poles in it. Uh, you know, you can pick up your plexiglass sneeze guard. You can have, uh, you know, a branded package that's going to have the all the signs you need to put in, that kind of stuff. So they're going to have things that they can take away and use. So that's that's kind of our next step to be able to go into communities, do, do some workshops and training with them, but have in advance, you know, a business that we've already re-merchandised for profitability and have them understand, okay, in COVID, it's a different world. You're going to have to understand you got to be six feet apart. You're probably going to have to merchandise differently than you have before. My intent would be to go in before, get that done, have the workshops, and then they can go with their little masks on and, and uh, you know, check out how somebody is doing it correctly. So 
that's our next step, the boots on the ground. We're looking hopefully first of June, second week of June to start implementation on that. So that's that's our next step. And then oh, so quite a bit. region to region doing that. Patrick? I'm sure everybody's been getting just inundated with all the potential Zoom meetings and other trainings. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our staff, we've been really looking to sort of curate that information and put it out to our members so that they know the, the most significant, most important uh, trainings for our particular purposes for, for Main Street. So I think that's an important service. We heard from some of our members about the issue of uh, landlords and tenants at this given point in time, uh, and negotiating their, their leases. That's great, Mary, love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he has no shame, he's not barking, so. And so that's uh, that's still still a concern. I mean, uh, there's going to be folks that are not going to have some significant cash flow for a period of time. Uh, so the landlords and tenants are going to have to uh, to go back to the drawing board and extend out terms. And it's not as simple as uh, people think. It's not all the big bad uh, landlords. Uh, they have to go to their uh, their banks and check to see whether or not the mortgage terms can be. Uh, could be altered. So we uh, we had one of our professional uh, affiliates, Pullman and Conley, a, a law firm, do a, a webinar, and so that's what we're going to continue to do. Is when we hear of these uh, these issues of specific uh, uh, issues that uh, are, that need to be addressed, we're going to bring in the professionals who can speak to those uh, those items on webinars. I think that's really important. You know, I, I, I believe that was the one that was about how to talk to landlords. I think was was that your webinar. Yeah, Patrick, I, I think that's I think that's incredibly useful because I think that's something that, you know, I think our gut response a lot of times is we've got to find a pot of money to do something. Yeah. And as a consultant, I love pots of money. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but I mean, being able to do, um, you know, something like that would just say, you know, here's how you talk to somebody, because, you know, I think for so for so many people that they see retailers over here and landlords over here and banks over here, when in a lot of our communities, you know, sometimes the banks, you know, excuse me, sometimes the, the, the retailers and the building owners are the same people. You know, they may own a bigger building and rent out part of that. I mean, the idea that, you know, these are these are silos and just getting a chance to talk to one another, knowing what to say and how to say those things, you know, I think is really important because I think, you know, I had a great conversation a couple of months ago when this stuff started coming down with a friend of mine who's a, who's a lender. And he was asking, he's like, what are you hearing? Because, you know, we're not sure what to do because last thing any of the banks want, you know, is this huge influx of, of uh, default buildings and default property. And so, you know, they're kind of in a corner as well. And, but the funny thing about banks is they don't want to give up anything, you know, they don't want to volunteer anything. They're all willing to talk. They're all willing to deal, but nobody wants, nobody is really out there going, you know, Hey, you can pay us later. You know, so you have to be able to go back and do that. So I think, you know, webinars like that, Patrick, I think are really important for people to realize, yeah, you can just go talk to them and, you know, know but to know what to say and how to say it. Right. Liz, you know, what are you guys working on there in North Carolina? Well, we, we really felt very committed early on that we needed to um, distribute information. We needed to get it out there to our community. So we started out doing some tips and resources for businesses, for community leaders, and for uh consumers um that you know that grew so quickly and it just it, it got almost unwieldy and, and so we created a web page uh it's uh, ncmainstreet 
and planning.com if anyone wants to look at it. But we have a COVID site. What's different, I think, uh, from our site than most governmental sites, and we try and get out of that, even though we're in government, we try and get out of the governmental hat. Um, we do have a lot of private resources on there. Um, we have business pivot ideas on there. Uh, again, community idea exchange, funding, of course. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of different information on there. And um, we're also very committed to looking at our partners. So the North Carolina Restaurant and, and Lodging Association has got some tremendous information for our restaurants and, and bars. The um, National Federation, uh, I'm sorry, the National Retail Federation has got some great checklists for businesses and things like that. So again, sharing that kind of information that our communities can then adapt for their own has been a really important role, I think, uh, for us. We send information out twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays to over 500 communities across the state uh, in a matter of minutes through listservs and distribution lists. Um, we also felt that there were so many rural communities in particular that didn't necessarily have access to graphic artists. So we created some social media graphics. Really good stuff. Use at no cost. Um, we're, we're distributing those out kind of one at a time, yet they're all on the website. So if someone wants to go down and download any of them at any time, they can. Um, we've done a couple of videos as well because we really felt it was important to get the faces of those retailers out to the communities and out to the state to say, you know, Joe Smith is not just a name. This is Joe Smith, your neighbor, your restaurateur, your retailer. Um, so that's been a really popular addition, I think, that we've done. We've done those in-house. We have very talented uh, key um, staff members that can do the videos. We hired a graphic artist for the, for the uh, social media graphics. But um, some of those things have been really important. And then, as I said, uh, the partnerships. The, we're partnering up with the League of Municipalities and some other entities, the State Historic Preservation Office and others, and we're planning on really rolling out a whole series of um, training materials. It could be webinars or Zoom meetings, but also workbooks and te uh, templates and things like that that can really help with that recovery. Um, those will roll out, they'll start in June and they'll roll out um, probably for a long time. We're hoping that that's really a long-term partnership that we have with the league. That's very cool. The state of Connecticut just put out a small business uh, resource guide and a couple of things I thought would be really interesting for some other states is they basically had a list of suppliers mm. uh, for PPE uh, based on a regional basis and so you know having access to those sources of the masks and the sanitizers mm -hmm. is going to be a big issue for our small businesses and finding ways to maybe uh, uh, have a mass uh, purchase of those materials and distribution could be really helpful. And then also just a, a financial guide. What other sources are, are out there right now right. that someone could potentially tap into? And I think one thing that uh, more and more of us need to kind of consider is this crowdsourcing, uh, crowdfunding mm -hmm. uh, opportunities right, and, and what platforms are out there that uh, have been vetted that we can share with our communities and that uh, potentially could be successful. In Alabama, there's a website that was started called um, All Together, AL Together. Uh, it was uh, curated from the governor's office, but was done by um, someone who was on my board, Alex Blacksbart. And you've 
I don't know, Joe, if you've met Alex or not, but he's brilliant. Uh, so he's, he's helped pull this together and the Opportunity Zone piece that's here in Alabama is now being spread out and everywhere else too, but they've really made hay off of it here in Alabama and they've done a nice job of taking that kind of concept and like you were talking about, Patrick, spreading that out beyond just Opportunity Zones and how can we take crowdfunding to, to another level. And it has all of those resources on it too. They've done a nice job of where in the world do I get hand sanitizer? Where do I get masks? In fact, our Department of, of Commerce is looking at pulling together an opportunity for masks that have their brand made in Alabama on it, which I think is kind of fun. So there's <laughs> some cool stuff We've seen on. You know, a couple of examples of local Main Street who are getting doing their own branding as well. And that's right. I think that's certainly a role. I, I think if not state coordinating programs, then definitely at the local level, that coordination of where do you get this stuff? I think at the very, you know, Think yeah. of a lot of our mom and pop, you know, retailers who are out there, they have no clue where to start. They really don't. I mean, if, if they don't sell it at Cisco or they don't sell it at, you know, at Sam's Club or something like that, where, you know, the typical places where a small business would shop, then it's hard to find it. So, you know, I think kind of coordinating that, that type of response, I think is really important. Yeah, I think you're right. Think so let, let me ask you, this is the wild ass guest question. So the wild ass guest question is, when will we get to some semblance of normal? Um, you know, and, and I think honestly, I, to me, this, this feels like post 9-11, like there's, if you guys remember before 9-11, which is incredibly hard to do anymore, that, you know, you used to be able to go to the airports and you, you brought your family and people mm -hmm. signed you up. I mean, the world is so much different now than it was post 11. I kind of feel like we're at another one of those moments in history. So, you know, what do you think the new normal is going to look like a year from now or two years from now? What do you think, when do you think that's gonna, going to be and what do you think that's gonna look like? So that is a really big question with a wild ass guess. And I'm talking just for a few more seconds to help you guys formulate an answer in your head before I throw it over to you. <laughs> so the person I love to put on the spot the most is Mary. Um, so. Thanks. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, what, what do you think is gonna, when do you think we'll be a similar to normal? What do you think that's gonna look like? Well, I actually have a bet with my sisters on when you can eat in a restaurant without social distancing. Uh, I try to get them all to send me wine if, if, if I won, but they, you can't do it across state borders. So they, there may be some smuggling going on, I'm not sure. But uh, so I have a bet with them and we're look, I mean, they were talking September. Now I think, you know, I don't think it's gonna be back to normal by any sense by then. Uh, you know, our conference is scheduled for August 19th, 20th, and 21st. We're looking at moving forward with the face-to-face -face social distancing conference. Um, looking at, we'll probably have to limit the number of people that can attend the conference. Uh, have to do probably the awards banquet in a different way than we've ever done it before. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I would hope by spring of 2021 that things will be... You know, I think everybody's wondering what's going to happen this fall if right. fire back up. And, you know, I'd hope by spring of 2021 that we'll kind of have a, a handle on really what's going to happen long term. But all that being said, if, if I never have to go to a restaurant again and not be able to back up my chair because you sit too close, I will not be a happy camper. At this point, I just want the kids to go back to school. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kids out the door. Patrick, are you back uh, we've actually chosen to hold off on any uh, in-person events, meetings, trainings till uh, till the new year. So we're going full-fledged online uh, for any of our activities to to that point. So our anticipation is we're not going to see any new normal until at least uh, 
2021. Liz? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really know, to be honest with you. We, we, the universities are making, all making plans in North Carolina this week or early next week about how they're going to come back. And, and we're kind of looking at that a little bit as guidance because honestly, we've got so many universities, state facility uh, universities here in North Carolina. But um, while I think it could be somewhat of a new normal in the fall, the anticipation is it's going to ramp up a little bit in the winter. And so I think the true normal is probably not going to be until later in the spring would be my guess. It may happen earlier in Alabama because it just doesn't get as cold here, frankly. Right. So, um, That's true. We, well, we don't I, really I, I think it's really still kind of out a little bit whether or not the warm weather has any effect on it at all. Exactly. Uh, I think one of the interesting things I've heard rumor here in East Lansing, now I'm, I'm wearing my Block M, where's my Block M? Where my Block M, and even though we're home of Michigan State University here, uh, what's really interesting is that the president of Michigan State University is an infectious disease expert. Um, oh. And, you know, we've heard rumor that they're, contemplating not going back face to face in the fall and they may not even come they they may, may not be till january wow. uh 2021 till we start to see kids back on campus here and even then i think it's going to be you know very limited uh, we have a huge international student presence that you know those those students may not be allowed to come back um so it'll be really interesting wow. to see kind of how our, all of our communities adjust I want to make sure I'm mentioning to the folks who are watching. If you guys, if anyone has questions for any of the, for any of these folks, please feel free to fire them off. Folks, we've had a lot of actually conversation in it. People are agreeing on economic development kind of being the position that we should be working on. Obviously, a lot of different thoughts on you know how fundraising, you know how we can help fund our communities. Um, what are, you know? I'm, I'm going to struggle for a couple a couple more questions. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, what do you think is going to be the thing that, you know, if communities are going to make one substantial change, you know, in the next 12 months, uh, if our mainstream organizations, our downtown organizations, if they're going to make one substantial change in the next 12 months, you know, what would you recommend them to do? Online sales platform that connects, that, you know, if we can do something that they, they have some sort of branded online sales platform that's for a districts because they're, you know, they're not districts, not you know, for their district uh, so that they have that opportunity to, to say, this is, you know, downtown, this is Red Birmingham, or this is the historic Fourth Avenue business district. And we're all in this together. And you go to that, that district and then you can shop on that platform, I think would really be much easier than everybody trying to do their own um, individual platform, or even if it goes to their own sales platform, you know, there's strength in numbers and that marketing piece is a big deal. And there's so much more than just the platform. As uh, Mary's talking with uh, with Trip, it's the fulfillment aspect uh, to it. So people need to understand the the, the whole life cycle of uh, online uh, purchases and how they can really compete against uh, Amazon. Yep. So I totally agree with that those comments, but I will also say that I think our Main Street organizations really have to ramp up on their um, economic vitality. Uh, organizations, uh, their structures, they have to understand those buildings and, and have that building inventory up to date. They have to know what the assets are in their district and know what they're looking for to recruit. I think we're definitely going to have a high number of vacancies. And I think that, that our Main Street directors have to know how to um, fill those vacancies, what they want to fill those vacancies with. They have to understand um, how to do the economic development piece uh, better than ever. 
We're advocating really hard for an increase to our state historic tax credit uh, mm -hmm. programs for gap financing. Uh, back in 2015, we created a municipal option tax increment financing so that communities themselves without having to go to the state can actually create their own districts. We've had 10 awesome. communities adopt those TIFs and it's been really impactful for the communities that have uh, been early adopters. They're, they've got a pool of funds mm -hmm. that they can put towards uh, important priority projects to their, to their downtown. So mm -hmm. I highly encourage other states to investigate uh, you know, the TIF uh, process and I'm hoping that more communities right here in Connecticut take uh, advantage of that new tool. Yeah. We have had- Harkening uh, Sorry, go ahead, just hearkening back to Liz's comment too. I mean, we have to support those new entrepreneurs that are going to mm -hmm. run up out of this. People that are tired of having their uh, their entire uh, life being handled by you know somebody else. I work for somebody else. I'm tired of having that happen. We're going to have a big spike in entrepreneurism, I believe. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Uh, going back to Randy's presentation and knowing that we're going to have to have some of those demising walls because they don't need twenty five thousand square feet. They need two hundred and fifty square feet. Right. Um, so I think those things are going to be really important. And how do we support those entrepreneurs who, who have the passion, but generally no business knowledge and hardly ever any money? How are we going to support them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, think, I think the thought on the higher vacancies is spot on. Uh, I think when we see, depending on how long that new normal takes to establish, mm -hmm. you know, understanding what, those, what the impact's going to be on lease rates. I mean, right. because I think there's a whole big tail to this dinosaur here that we're dealing with that, you know, right now it's everything's limited, but you know, what's that, what's that legacy going to be over the next couple of years? Mm -hmm. And you know, that impact on profitability as an example, if you want a restaurant, I mean, if, if we're not going to get back to as Mary, exactly. you know, being able to sit, if any, if any semblance of normal is being able to sit in a restaurant without social distancing, what, two years, maybe, I mean, in all, right. in all honesty, and it depends trip, you know, Muldrow had mentioned in the comments, it's going to look different state by state because every state, you know, I'm obviously very skewed because we've been hit hard in Michigan, but you know, in other places, you guys haven't been hit as hard. Um, so it's, I think that will look different state by state, but you know, if you're looking at an impact of, you know, multi-year impact on restaurant revenue, as an example, then, you know, that's going to impact lease yeah. rate. Because if you've yeah, got a vacant right. restaurant space, nobody's going to be able to make that work unless you've got gap financing. Right. So, you know, yeah. again, helping to figure out where you can identify some of that funding I think would be really important. Um, we're winding down here on our hour, and uh, I want to give you guys each the opportunity. If there's one thing that you want to tell everybody who's watching today, local local um, Main Street programs, uh, downtowns who may not be Main Streets, economic development professionals, what would you tell them? You know, you know we, one last chance, you got 30 seconds, inspire them. Liz, I'll, I'll pick on you this time. I forget. Mary was was totally braced for me to to say like, Mary. I was going. Liz, I'll put you. I'll put you on the spot. Well, I was hoping you were going to go for Mary because she might have really inspirational words. <laughs> you know, I I think I you know it, the old adage of we're in this together. That's so cliche, but but it really is true. We have to learn how to build that network at the local level of our partners and and building out to the statewide level and the federal level. We have to work differently than we have before. And I think that that's gonna help us get back to that new normal much quicker. Yeah, Patrick? Yeah, I think the work of Main Street is absolutely more important than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, this has been a, a 
gut punch to our economy and to our downtowns and to be resilient. We just we need to double down our efforts and use all of our advocacy uh, skills, all of our promotional skills and bring all that together because uh, our communities, our downtowns, they're, they're the heart and the soul. So we gotta, we gotta push forward. Mary? Since, since we're, we're all kind of, and thank you guys for doing this because I do think we are all missing seeing each other at, at the National Main Streets Conference. It's been yeah. kind of rough for us who are accustomed to, to seeing our buddies that we really get to see in once a year. But you know, both Liz and, and Patrick are right, we're in this together. But it does make me think back to a session that I attended way back in Oklahoma City. Uh, and it was, the title of it was working with people who do not have to follow your rules. And I'm going, I'm in, I'm gonna, I don't ever wanna follow rules. I wanna know how to do this. So, but it really was kind of a comparison on, you know, how do, you know, the way that people view chambers and even, even my parents' uh, generation who says, you know, you join the chamber because that's what, that's what you do. And with Main Street, we always had to fight for every darn dime and dollar that we've got. And at the end of the presentation, I went, you know, he, he said, I hope we never have to not fight. I hope we never have to, you know, just, you know, not that I know we all want to fight a little less, but always, <laughs> always work hard to try to be um, that organization that gets things done, that organization that's going to reach out and be innovative and do things different. I think that's what Main Street's all about. And that's why we're seeing the advocacy piece at the national level. We're seeing an unconference conference on Facebook Live. Um, you know, three guys who could be making money doing this for free. This is pretty great stuff. Yeah, it really is. On your wall, Joe, you do you need a little art back there, buddy. <laughs> I understand that's what the t-shirt sales are going for. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that's, you know, that's the thing to remember is Main, Main Street's always been innovative and will continue to be innovative uh, while other organizations will really struggle on this because they can't let go of the way it used to be. We've never had a normal, really. <laughs> I think that's a good thing for us. Right. You know, I will say, Joe, that communication is really a key and, and this time can actually help raise profiles for these organizations a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I always think of the phrase, you know, that my dad told me when I first started working at age 15, it was always be useful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would, I would say I give that same advice to every one of our Main Street organizations, downtown organizations, whatever it is. If it's a you know, socially distanced festival, if it's a, a revolving loan fund, if it's you know marketing and, and helping pass along graphics, be useful because I think that's the most important thing. It's the thing that everyone needs right now. Thank you guys, Liz, Thank Patrick, you. Mary. Appreciate you taking the time. This is awkward as hell. I'd rather for us to be having this conversation <laughs> around a table uh, with a, a couple of beers in front of us. But I really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and sharing with us this afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting us. Appreciate it so much. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.